Welcome to the Rainbows and Rain podcast for early interventionists. My name is Erica and this is my podcast where I reflect on real life visits in hopes to grow in my own early intervention practice as I work with families and children birth to age three. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. I think if there was ever a mission for early intervention, it would be to empower parents, I think would be the mission. But how do we do that? And I had a visit that um, I came out of and I felt so good because I knew this mom felt truly empowered by what she was doing and what we were doing together. And the question I had after that visit was, what empowers parents? So just, I want to back up and explain what this mom did. So this is probably visit number three I arrive at. And visit number two, we had discussed some visuals um, that mom was willing and open to trying because her daughter right now is only saying more when she wants food. Um, she'll walk into the kitchen and she'll kind of go to the cupboard or she'll go to the fridge and she'll just kind of say more. So she's not, um, but she's able to label and she's able to say some things. So anyways, visuals was the strategy we landed on to work on this skill of requesting. So my job for this visit was to bring four visuals, one for banana, apple, orange, and I think juice, if I can't remember right. And maybe we were going to introduce four, maybe not. Um, It's just kind of what we had brainstormed and what I had came prepared for. Um, on this visit when I came. So I arrive on the visit and we talk about what's been happening with her daughter, you know, what's new, what are what are things that have been going on since our last visit. And she brought me to her kitchen and she brought me to her fridge and she had cut up a newspaper advertisement for like the local grocery store and she had cut up oranges apple, banana, that kind of thing, uh, a jug of juice. Um, So she had found her own pictures and um, put contact paper up on the fridge and put, put them up. And I felt so amazed in that moment. And it was funny because she said, well, my printer was out of ink. So this is what I did. And what she did was truly amazing. She, you know, really, um, really took on this strategy like, okay, if pictures are going to help my daughter, I'm going to use pictures. And, you know, she had put actually quite a few more visuals on the refrigerator, more than what we had talked about. And, whether that was something I professionally agreed with or not really doesn't matter. Um, she, she did it and she felt good about it and she found a way to make it work for her and her daughter. 
Um, so I still offered mine. I said, well, I did make these four. And she's like, oh, yours are prettier. They're laminated and, um, you know, whatever. But I said, that's not the point. The point is you found something that worked. And I just felt so proud in that moment and really felt like I, what gave this mom this motivation or this power? Cause I've never seen a parent do that before. I've never seen a parent, especially when we're talking about visuals and AT and using something else to communicate other than words, what empowers a parent? I want to sidebar for just a second. Um, I want to do another podcast about using visuals and using visuals to communicate. It's not always a communication system we're implementing. In this case, with this family and this mom and this daughter, I was trying to teach a behavior. So retraining that behavior of just walking into the kitchen and saying, Moss, to pointing at a picture similar to like pointing at a picture on a menu and possibly getting her to label to request. So just sidebar for for just a minute and then um but I do want to address that on another podcast. So back to the question I had earlier. What empowers parents? With this mom, was it something I said? Was it something I did? Was it nothing I said and nothing I did? And did it come from her? Like, where does that feeling of empowerment come from? Like, how do we do that? Um, parents come into our program concerned about their child's development, end up knowing that they are not making typical developmental progress. They come to us seeking help. They come to us seeking knowledge. Um So knowing you're in that position of needing something or needing someone or just needing help in general, that really isn't a position of power or empowerment, but truly a position of vulnerability and fear, Um, fear of the future, fear of not knowing what to do, um, knowing your child might need someone or something else to help them grow and develop. Um, So how do we, that's a huge gap to fill between I'm vulnerable, I need help, I don't know what to do, to trying to empower parents that they know they can help their child and they can do these things. So how or what empowers parents is what I've been kind of pondering these last couple days. So just by chance, I came across this handout, um, this flyer, and it was adapted from the book, The Art and Practice of Home Visiting, second edition. It's by Ruth Cook and Shirley Sparks. So I'll try and link it in the description of the episode. But the title, which totally caught me, was eight ways home visitors can facilitate family empowerment. And I was like, oh, this is perfect because I've been thinking about this very question, like what or how do we empower parents? Um, Okay, so the first one says practicing empathy 
Try to learn all you can about the family, listen carefully and non-judgmentally to see the world in this situation as the other person sees it. And I think it sounds easy to do, but I think it's really hard to do because I think as human beings, we are naturally judgmental um, as we encounter different things throughout our day. But whether we're a little or a lot, um, it's still there. So really trying hard to kind of check that bias at the front door, really just listen all you can listen to and figure out like even though the family is doing bedtime this way or mealtime this way or doing this this way you know there's probably a reason for that and just and it might not be what I'm trying to do or that I would do with my own kids but just practicing that empathy like okay this is the situation and this is how this um, parent or caregiver sees it. The other one was ask open-ended questions that invite families to share and be heard. Um, So again, I think that goes back to have your own questions ready. Have your own catchphrases ready. So you know um, that you're comfortable asking those open-ended questions to kind of gather that meaningful information that you want. And when you do that versus asking just those typical yes, no, like, can they use a pincer grip? Can they do this? Have you seen them do that? When you ask them with a genuine interest, it really acknowledges to the parents um, that they are their experts on their own children. So, and so, and I'll talk about that that term pincer grasp in a little bit, but um, and how we should avoid the the use of jargon. So um, that's another one of these things. Um, but really be careful not to use terms or acronyms that might be unfamiliar and misunderstood by family members. I was talking with another colleague about this, and she disagreed with this a little bit. Um, because she really feels like we should be teaching that jargon, you know, if they're entering the world of um, disability, because that's how we're also going to empower them to be advocates for their child uh, as they grow up and move on from us. So I think that's a very fine line to walk and it depends on what jargon you're talking. So I feel like developmental jargon, let's, you know, let that jargon go instead of maybe saying pincer grass, like most parents might know that term, some might not. So demonstrating, hey, you know, have you seen them do this to pick things up or tell me about how they use their hands. So asking those open-ended questions usually leads to more information and much richer information. And it also shows a genuine interest. You know, tell me about your day. Tell me how they use their hands. You know, that kind of thing. So the other one, listen attentively with reflection Active and reflective listening is critical to the development of relationships and that are respectful and trusting. I think that's all a given, and that's something most of us are all good at. Um, And then focus on strengths 
achievements and desires. So by avoiding an emphasis on problems or deficits, like what they're not doing, and zeroing on solution-focused questions, you can support um, families' confidence and, and adaptive potential. So by all of that, just focus on what they are doing and building on strength versus um, building on just what they can't do and how to how to get them to uh, do that next skill. I had a visit where we're trying to teach some self-calming things um, to this little one. It's a busy mom. She's got four kids. Two of them are twins. They're all ages four and under. And one of the twins is having, and she's got a brand new baby, so the twins are in the middle. Um, one of the twins is having a hard time. She just wants to be held all the time. And there are a few coping things the mom um, identified that helps her. One of them, which is a little unusual, but hey, it's ice. So it's like, okay, if ice is what's calming and she likes ice, what are all the different things we can do with ice? Um, what kind of sensory bins can we make with ice? What kind of art things can we do with ice? Uh, she's only 15 months. So anyways, it's so instead of building on like, oh, they can't cope during this time or they're super fussy during this time. Okay, what what is something we can do? Let's look at what does work and build on it. And hopefully we discover new ways other than ice that will help this little one. But let's look at what they can do and just build on that uh, versus what they can't. Um, the next one, which I think is number six, respect family preferences. So by listening and truly hearing what families need and want, you can provide information and services built on families' concerns and priorities. So we have our own concerns and priorities when we evaluate a kiddo and we're looking at development and seeing what they, you know, can and cannot do and where they fall. So, but our priorities might not be the family's priorities. Just like my priority as a teacher might not be the same as the speech therapist that I'm working with or the OT that I'm working with or the PT that I'm working with. We all probably have our own different priorities and it really doesn't matter whose should, you know, take the top or not. It really has to fall back to the family and following what their concerns and what their priorities are, because that's how you're going to move kids. And that's how kids make progress, because their parents and their caregivers are already working on those right now. Uh, number nine, or I'm sorry, number seven, identify strategies that will help families achieve desired outcomes. So ensure that interventions can be successfully embedded into current family routines. So again, that goes back to, again, what's important to the family and what they're already doing. And is it working? Is it not working? If it's something that's not working, how can we how can we tweak it? How can we adjust it? If it's something that is working, how can we build on it? So, and just making sure that um, 
it's something that they feel comfortable being able to carry out. Uh, and then the last one, number eight, prepare families for change. Changes are inevitable as kids get older, especially in our world. They get older quickly. So provide the support families need to navigate these changes with the least amount of stress. I think that goes back to the jargon one um, when I was talking with my coworker. Um Teach them that jargon. So prepare families for change. For example, right now you are on an IFSP. What does it mean when you move to the IEP? Um, And what does it mean that our home-based services or, you know, daycare services or whatever that is, home primarily, what happens when home services end? So helping parents prepare for that. I have a story about that, respecting family preferences and um, building on strengths. I had this visit with this family. I actually had two of her children, but she had four children. Um, They were all six and under, one in school, three at home. Two of them were twins. Um. And the twins were in the middle. And this mom was a busy mom. She, you know, was constantly kind of putting out fires. She was using a lot of technology to kind of get by in her day. She lived in a big, beautiful home. It had like like a front room area that had a large dining room table. And then she had a regular dining room. Um, which kind of flowed right into the living room and the kitchen. So big, beautiful home. The teacher in me wanted, and this mom was craving structure, the teacher in me wanted to provide her with structure. Like, hey, have you, and this, again, so this is an example of not how I didn't build on family strengths and priorities and what happened. I had suggested that we maybe use, um, you know, one of the, the dining room that wasn't used for eating. It was, I think maybe used for more formal occasions, but, um, you know, do you ever do some coloring or like table time activities over here and ever utilize the space because it was away from the living room too, which is which was where a lot of the technology was, the TV and iPads and things. And she said, well, yeah, we do sometimes. Sometimes we color. And she kind of took me over there and she kind of showed me what she had and things that they already did um, or that they did sometimes. But she never had the kids up at the table. And I felt like that would be something that would be helpful and provide some structure as if, you know, she could get the kids up to the table and they'd be all at the table. So it was something that I left the visit with thinking like, hey, this mom's gonna, she's gonna do it because she, she says, she does what she says she's gonna do. And then I felt good because I provided them with a plan, you know, a plan that would provide more structure in my mind if it was my house. And when I came back the next week, yeah, that didn't happen. And yeah, it it didn't happen be- for many reasons. And when I left that visit, I was like, I am so such a dummy. That was my plan. That was my priority. That 
is something I would do. That wasn't her plan. That wasn't her priority. And it wasn't her solution. So again, it can be really easy to like slip down that, that, that slide of this is what you need to do. But again, if parents aren't going to see the value in it or, you know, if it's not built on their priorities or their routines, then what's the point? So I really learned a lot from that, from that visit. And even though what I'm saying is helpful and I think, um, you know, will help things, it's, it's not always the best thing. So back to my original question, what empowers parents? I think it starts with us. I think it starts with how we communicate. I think it starts with those eight points. Everything from how we ask our questions to, you know, our interactions with them during the visit and and, and writing everything from writing the IFSPs and, and all of that Um, It all starts as this small snowball that builds and builds and grows to empower parents. So I think, I think that's what, that's the key here because we're going from, like I said, in the beginning, this place of true like vulnerability and fear to you got this, you can do this type of you know, feeling and that that's huge. So it's, I think it happens little by little. So thank you again for listening to the rainbows and rain podcast. If you have any thoughts on this topic of empowering parents or any feedback for me in the podcast, please email them to E R I K A B O eight zero at gmail.com. And I hope you listen again. Thank you.